Welcome to the Cascade Church Portland podcast. We're a church that works to be both safe to be and safe to grow through our commitment to intentionality, diversity, curiosity, prayer, and advocacy. Enjoy! This morning, I am excited. It was many years ago, like probably five, six years ago, I got to meet my friend Insel Kang at a Portland kind of pastor's gathering. And there's a certain kind of energy when you meet someone at an event that neither of you really want to be at. (laughs) You know there's like a kindred spirit thing going on. Um, And it has been true. Every opportunity we have to have Insel here has been an incredible delight. We just wish it was more often. So would you welcome Insel Kang? Okay, thank you. Oh, Kurt, I think about that all the time. It was... Kurt was, to, to be more blunt, uh, uh, Kurt was the first um, male pastor when I started this position that actually came up to me directly um, without fear that a husband might be lurking or uh, someone would tell on him for having approached the new woman in the room. Like, I will never forget that. Yeah, yes, it was a slightly strange place to be in general, but that was the one thing. Kurt acted like I was a normal person and that he should say, who are you? Hi. So... Um, hello, my name is Insil, um, and if, if it's like I, I just came to like my cousin's house for Sunday. You know, I wish this was more standard practice for church people, that we would visit each other and, you know, take part together and say hi to all the uncles and aunties that we don't see normally, and so I, I want a special shout out to some of my friends who came just because I'm disgracing the pulpit here this morning. <laughs> <laughs> Um, I say all this because um, my, my take on, on speaking to you is, is potentially irreverent, but not irreverent because I don't um, believe in the, the sacredness and the sanctity of, of what we do here, but mainly maybe because I, I feel like sometimes um, we've made it too uh, complicated and too untouchable what we do when we come together. And so um, I, I don't know, maybe that's what God has placed on me to be that kind of irreverent one in the family, so... Um, you guys have been on a fantastic series. Uh, when Kurt told me you guys were doing this, I thought he was joking because I was like, what? What church would start off the year when people are checking you out and seeing if this is the community you want to be a part of and say, let's talk about how we've messed up Bible interpretation our whole life. Um, that's open. That's a big giving push type campaign line for, for all churches. <laughs> um, but as he, as he got into it, and he was just like, yep, that's what we're doing. I was just like, that's genius. Why, why would we hold that back? Why wouldn't we start from the beginning that we are a flawed people um, that have learned from other flawed people? How would we, how would we ever um, uh, pretend that we, we have it all right when it comes to God? So um, what you guys did in that exercise, I almost wanted to just kind of be like, keep going, keep going. You don't need me because you guys are wonderful critical thinkers. So um, I just hope to expand on that. Um, Mainly, you, so when I, I listened to your prior ser, uh, sermons and you, you received history. Um, some of you maybe hadn't even considered that there is such thing as uh, biblicism, biblioidolatry, just this concept that we could very well be uh, holding onto a concrete, concrete version of God's word um, and, and thus we can argue really easily with others when they hold on to their concrete version. Um, and so uh, when I think about all of that, I'm hoping that we could, I can illuminate for you just how everyday it is that we operate this way. 
um, and that how we interact with the Bible is really truly not the same as everyone else's, um, and it's very personal for each of us, and that we all do interact with the Bible with an assumed sense of that just must be the way it is for everyone else. Um, we don't realize how easy it is that we're skewing our perspective and understanding of the Word of God. Um, we may not even realize the power this has on our lives um, and thus how it impacts and varies our sense of gospel and our sense of truth. And if you think about just kind of how difficult it is to hold a conversation these days with people who disagree, um, I would say this plays right into that. So I would like to start with a very academic and sophisticated metaphor of, of getting us to think about how it is that we might be interacting with a version of the Bible or the, of the word that's different. So um, I would like to uh, bring your attention to Keanu Reeves. Um, <laughs> this is Ken's, or Ken, this is Kurt's um, pick. Uh, let's do the next one just so you can get enough Keanu before my metaphor. Beautiful, just beautiful. Um, and rest in peace. Um, okay, so likening the illustrious career and darn near holiness of Keanu Reeves to the gospel, um, what's the version of Keanu that you have seen, that you think you understand, that you think you know? Um, let's start with Bill and Ted Keanu. Ugh, so handsome, so, so handsome. Um, this is early work. Um, in, a, in, a, in a way, for, for, those, for those of you who are younger, you just kind of have to accept that this Keanu Reeves existed. Um, it's a, there was strange and dated vocabulary in this, in this Bill and Ted version of Keanu. Um, and it's very much in the history loop of our culture, right? We all can refer to it. Um, but maybe it's not totally understandable. Like, I actually thought about this. I don't really remember the story of the movie. I just remember, like, this in general, right? Um, I think there was time travel, and I think there was a phone booth, but again, I don't, okay. Uh, next example, speed Keanu. Oh, yes. <laughs> and boys, you can say ooh, too, because this was cool. Um, this was 90s Keanu, cool, clean, popular, again, so handsome. I literally have so handsome written in bold on my notes. <laughs> Um, this is the kind of version of Keanu that was safe. Um, maybe not very challenging, um, but it was almost sort of new, your sense of getting to know him. Um, and it was cool that you can quote this, like it's, um, you know, you, you feel like you know it. We all know that you don't go under 50 miles an hour. Maybe just as quickly as you can rattle off John 3.16. So, you know, think about that. I'll extrapolate a little bit more. And then finally, we cannot skip over John Wick Keanu. Oh, oh, so handsome. This one is all bold, all caps in my notes. Okay, this Keanu really pushed the envelope, right? It actually changed the way all action movies have been now filmed and seen and, and sequencing and choreography. Um, and this is, a, we're not having a conversation about violence in movies today, but we can talk about that. Um, but this version was also very challenging for some people. This is not the Keanu I knew. Where's the lake house guy? Where's the guy that was dating Diane Keaton? Um, so quote unquote, not for everyone. But if you really dive into this, there is like a cult following. Have you watched all the Terran tactical videos on his, like, okay, you haven't. No one, no one was with me. You can YouTube it. He did so much training. So I'm using, um, when I say Bible and gospel, I'm kind of using it interchangeably within this metaphor, and I still say it works. 
Um, and, and the win already is that I got to use these photos in a church service. So, <laughs> um, so what I'm trying to say is Keanu Reeves can be polarizing as a figure. Um, not everyone loves him. Not everyone would say he's even a good actor. Um, his canon of work might not be everyone's favorite, but we all recognize him and he's very much in our culture. We can, we can take him down, unfortunately. Um, the, so the joke of my, me of, of sort of, the joke of the entire metaphor, really, is that um, with the Bill and Ted, we get a version of him that could, I could pay, maybe say is sort of like King James Version. Um, it still has Keanu in it. It's still very much the gospel, King James Version, but it's a dialogue and style from a very specific time, and frankly, not that many people who even, um, so many people are not impacted by Bill and Ted, right, in a daily way. Like, think of all the people who were born in the 90s, let alone the 2000s, disgusting. Like, they have no sense, right? Same with me when it comes to some of the formalized way and that kind of maybe even King James Version era of, of biblical teaching, which was still very good, very much the gospel, but can feel very, um, at least for me, not a part of my life. Speed Keanu. Super 90s, very NIV, very Zondervan, very Zondervan. Um, and if that doesn't make sense to you, good, good. I'm using some really terrible church kind of like isms. And if you don't recognize any of them, your brain is so clean. Um, but, but Speed Keanu, that kind of 90s NIV time was very relevant to um, my age because um, that was like when we were like, okay, so go to Keanu. Ooh, he's more than just like random movie guy. He can like get a buzz cut and look buff. Wow, you know? Um, he's now a blockbuster film star. It felt cool in the 90s. I don't know if it was just because I was a teen college kind of age person at that point, but it felt like we really like amped up our sense of branding of Christianity, as well as suddenly having like the metal Bible, the cover you can't break. Um, you know, it was all these extra things, like the WWJD bracelets, right? It was all these things that kind of made it feel cooler. Um, and I had never really even understood things like young life and those types of things. So it just felt like we were free to kind of claim this version and be like, yeah, I'm with this. Um, and then, again, kind of going back to Keanu, we would learn that there's so much more to him than speed, especially as he chose very wisely in his career to not do speed too. Um, uh, but, but uh, you know, it, it, again, the 90s were very formative for me, and I'll, I'll stick to that. Um, then there's John Wick Keanu, um, and again, so handsome, just like the gospel, aging like a fine, fine wine. <laughs> oh, Again, something I got away with at your church on a Sunday. <sighs> um, and so many people were so impressed and surprised by this Keanu. Um, if you'd never experienced him before, you were blown away. You only knew him as this guy that was post-matrix and could do all this choreography. Um, I would almost liken this to where we are nowadays, where often for people, they're saying, well, I've never heard about this justice in the gospel before. I've never heard about this more challenging physical take on what it means to live out my faith like this before. Some would even say it's new, but just like Keanu, he, that always existed in him, right? It's not like that was brand new to him, but it was to us. Um, it's, it's, it's sometimes very exhausting to think about this kind of quote-unquote version of the gospel some of us have not heard before, and it's easier to just kind of say, well, this is new. Then. And I actually had a, a mom come up to me a year ago, I think, 
um, saying, well, as you guys talk about this new gospel, I want to just know more about it so I can talk to my kids. And it, and it took a minute to try to get her to realize it's not a new gospel. We just might not have uh, done our best to teach you it, and, and it sounds like you haven't heard it before either. Um, so again, take this Keanu analogy metaphor as, as you, what you will, but make it your own. <laughs> Share it. Can you imagine there were so many more memes about Keanu as like a biblical reference than there are right now about anything? Anyways. Okay. So I know you guys here at Cascade have been unpacking this type of thinking, this kind of like almost deconstructing critical thinking for a while. Um, so so let's, let's just uh, take a little more personal view of this and let me share you, with you a little bit more about my experience um, that actually shaped my interaction with the gospel, my interaction with the Bible. Um, so I'm Korean and I grew up in a Korean church here. Um, and so my Bible um, was very specific in this Korean church uh, phase of my life. It was turquoise leather bound. It was King James Version. It had that kind of shiny gold leafing thing, you know, where it, you, as a kid, when you're bored, you just keep flipping it as like you're waiting for the pastor to finish. Um, it was, uh, yes, King James Version, black type and red for Jesus. Um, and, and why? Well, because my parents' Bible was black leather, uh, same print, same colors, but all in Korean. Um, and theirs was red from uh, back to front. Because that was the way, uh, that's the way the books are in Korean. Um, my Bible was in English. However, my hymnal that I did carry with me was black, uh, leather, a gold leafing thing again. But this time it had English and Korean inside um, because I needed to know how to sing Come Thou Fount in Korean and then impress uh, that I would know where we are in the English as well. Um, and I had my own special purse that these two books went in on Sundays. Because that was more important than how I had been behaving all week. As long as that purse was like clean and I carried it into the church, my mom could just know that the, she would get praised for raising such a good Christian daughter. Um, the Bible was not to get damaged. We actually kept our Bibles in a specific place all week, kind of in the top shelf of like a credenza thing. Um, and we only pulled them out if there was a special occasion beyond Sunday um, or if my reverend uncle was in town, meaning there would be a mini service before the prayer before we could eat. Um, so my concept of Korean Bible um, beyond that was actually much more Old Testament based. If I think about all the sermons and stories I learned during my Korean church years, it was always about the Old Testament. Um, stories about immigrants, people who were in migration, um, and especially stories about people living in foreign lands and how hard that was. Um, and that that would be rewarded later by this loving Father God who sees it all, that he sees what they're going through. Um, so for me, growing up in Korean church, the Bible was a source of really um, looking at the stories of lament and hardship, because that was our everyday life. So already, this shaped um, kind of a greater sense of reverence for me when it comes to the word, and almost more of like a distanced awe, right? It wasn't accessible. It was, it was very special and separate. So my interaction with God then and, and the place of the gospel in my life, for the most part, was always in very formal, set-aside times. Didn't have to do with my daily life. More than that, unpacking. Um, thinking about words and meaning. Um, so the King James Version, very formal language, 
Um, there was no question. I didn't even know there were other translations until I started hearing the adults talk about how terrible those were and like um, uh, just not holy. Um, but what, what does that mean? It means that um, I was memorizing words that really didn't make a lot of sense to me. What does trespass mean to a six-year-old? Um, other words I learned without even thinking and questioning that they don't make sense to me, like iniquities, uh, shall, um, the word about as a reference to physical direction, you know, and then it came about. It's like, what? No one, no one talks like that. Um, and then on top of that, you know, my, my pastor, he preached pretty much King James Version Korean. So I can say, Mom, I need a juice pop, but I don't know mother. Um, might I have the assist me in bringing a juice pop about? You know what I mean? Like, it, th those are, the, you know what I mean? It's a totally separate thing. And so in Korean, on top of that, our language has um, formal tenses and word endings and informal. So we use um, one of the kind of um, suffixes. Is that the end of the word? Yes. One of the suffixes is nim, um, just kind of n. E-E-M, I guess, if I want to Romanize it. And so you add it at the end of a title or even someone's name to kind of give them a little extra honor. So a teacher is a sunsang, but we would never just say sunsang. It would be like being like, sup, teach. You'd always say sunsang nim. So it's like the teacher, right? Um, pastors, they are moksas, but we would never say just, hey, preach. You'd always say moksa nim. So it's pastor. It's, it's much more elevated. It's much more honoring. Um, those were the same uh, word usages when it came to talking about God and referencing him. So, uh, again, it was even in speech pattern, I learned very early on that when I talk about God, it's with extra reverence, even a little more uh, distance. And just because of that kind of tense to the word, it honestly kind of gave my little kid brain this sense of like, okay, make sure he doesn't catch you do anything bad. Like, it's, it's kind of like, he doesn't really talk to me, but he's always watching me. Um, and we, in Korean, use the term father a lot. It's a collective culture. Rarely will you ever hear someone say, come to my house. Um, my mom's got dinner for us. It's always, come to our house. Our mother has dinner for you. Come to our church. Our pastor has a message for you. Um, so for me, when I heard um, my, my family talk to God, Hananim, and Jesus, Yesunim, and then use the formal term for father, Aboji, not Appa, when they would pray to him, when they would cry out to him, when they would be sobbing in prayer as immigrants to him, that was my sense of reverence and holiness to, to this very distant um, but powerful God. Uh, a, a quick other example I would use is for anyone who's a Spanish speaker, the same thing. There's that formal tense in Spanish language, usted, and then within that, there's oftentimes, they don't just say Dios, they always often say Señor, which is like, you would say Mr. all the time, but when you capitalize that S, you know you're talking about the Father, the, um, the God, right? We don't have any of those types of things in our Western English. So I think about how I felt the disconnect when I hit like college and my friends started talking more about personal gods or um, just reaching out and saying, Jesus, um, in, in prayer and just feeling very um, unsure of what to do with that because it felt almost um, a little wild. It felt a little maybe even a little disrespectful. Um, but yet all these people were doing it. So how did they all know to do it? But I didn't know how to do it. 
I can only imagine that this gets confusing for us when we do talk about all the stories in the Bible that have to do with submission and lordship and all of that, and we act as though, like, yeah, it totally makes sense. Jesus is our Lord. Not many of us really have ever um, experienced the living um, dynamic where someone has that much authority over your life, right? Even with modern-day parenting, it's not even the same the way I, the same way I was parented. I would say that was probably more of a lordship, feudal type thing. But nowadays, it's I want to hear how you're thinking, kid. Let's talk through your feelings. It's not just a this is my word and and that's that's the way it is. I'm sure all of you parents are not like that. Um, so. But just beyond the, the book and the words even, my experience in the church, in the building, and how I interacted with God's word impacted how I received it for myself. Um, the Korean church, like I mentioned before, um, it's, it's different nowadays, but it's still very often uh, similar in some veins when you talk about any church that has first generation. That means uh, someone just came directly from that um, home country, and, and they're here now. Um, it's really a place for the immigrant experience, um, for people who needed a break from being the foreigner during the week. Um, if you ever think about it, like, uh, you know, my mom and dad would wear whatever they needed to wear during the week for, the, for work. And then on Sunday, suddenly outfits and, and stature that I hadn't seen all week show up. You know, I remember my dad's biggest thing was always shining his dress shoes for Sunday morning because that was the one time he was going to wear them. Otherwise, he's running around in sneakers, fixing things, uh, you know, helping customers. Um, and so for people who needed to know that God remembers them, that Sunday was for them. Um, that life was really, really hard, but that this was normal for God's people and that children would make it worthwhile. Man, I remember so many sermons where the whole, uh, you know, children obey your parent kind of thing was almost used as like a, um, your parents are already tired enough. They're already struggling with this language. They're already struggling with, you know, uh, social interactions. Kids, just don't screw it up for them when they're at home, you know? <laughs> um, because that's what it was. We were also to be the fruition of all their hard work. We were the result of their American dream goals. So all of that came together in my church experience. Um, you, you assimilate to this. You need to honor your parents. Um, at the same time, you know, God is only kind of more for them in a way. So imagine where if you were also like me and you grew up in a culture where you're supposed to be close to your entire extended family. I was just talking about this um, before the service started. Part of that church experience for the Koreans when I was growing up was these were people that came oceans away from the rest of their family, where in a culture typically where we ask, who is your family, you can't do that anymore. And so then the church space provides that sense of aunties and cousins and hierarchy, right? We don't say people's names. I still don't know any of my friends' parents' names because all we do is refer to them as so-and-so's mother or deacon, deaconess or teacher or auntie or uncle. You know, there's no uh, uh, Kurt, Sarah, it's, it's uh, you know, Sally's husband. You know, it's, 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 we use titles. Um, all of that was at play. It wasn't just you gave me the Bible and I read it in King James Version. It's you gave me the Bible, I read it in King James Version, I heard the stories of what my parents needed to hear, this collective thing that was going on without even thinking the moment I stepped into church. All of that impacted my sense of interacting with the word. So I really had to break this down as an adult. Um, I had to figure out what the Bible, God, and my faith actually meant to me 
And, and that's not typically um, a thing churches do. They usually just kind of want you to come in, and you're wherever they are in the sermon series, and let's go. Um, maybe that's what we need to do. We need a class. Like, you started coming. Well, here's our weekly class on have you really figured out what the faith means for you? Um, so first of all, I realized that there were different translations of the Bible. <laughs> that was shocking. I still have to say the most shocking translation for me is ESV. It seems almost too accessible. <laughs> I actually bought a version of that Bible, and I felt really, really, um, yeah, rebellious buying that version of the Bible. Like, oh, I have that in my home. It's, it's, it's got, like, conjunctions instead of, like, it's got couldn't. I don't know. Um, I also had to talk about and address Jesus in the room. In my upbringing, Jesus was the conduit to God, the conduit to the Father. We didn't talk a lot about Jesus because it was, you know, it was very Old Testament focused. The Israelites, the wilderness, the not knowing when the, um, the promise to Abraham was actually going to be seen. That made a lot more sense for my parents' community. So I didn't know really who Jesus was and what role he played in my life until I hit my 20s. And that was only because I started attending non-Korean churches and realized that they kept talking about grace and mercy in a very different way. And I didn't have the definitions for that. Um, Holy Spirit. No, we did not talk about the Holy Spirit. Um, I'm still learning. I'm still learning in what spaces I should go into where people say, oh, Holy Spirit is a woman. And I'm like, oh, I didn't know that. And then, and then other spaces where people don't say the Holy Spirit, they say Holy Spirit. Or in just, I'm, just, I'm still learning all the things around this relative, you know, that I just didn't get to know it during all the family interactions, right? Um, and, then, and then, frankly, uh, you know, something I haven't really uh, dived, dove too deeply into yet, but the history of how the Bible and faith of the Christianity faith actually came to my family. Um, my great-great-grandmother, I believe, my mother's grandmother, uh, well, I could be getting it wrong, a couple grandmothers ago. Uh, she was the main matriarch of the family, um, very Asian. She had the ring of keys. That meant she was the powerful one. She had the keys that opened everything. She lived with her son, who was the oldest son, in the big house, and that's where everyone would come, you know, uh, holidays, that kind of thing. And she was the one who received um, uh, the message of salvation for the first time and made the whole family convert. Um, the story is that she took all of our Buddhist kind of things and items and put them in the courtyard to burn them as a sign that her family had converted, and all the neighbors and um, staff and everything looked at her and was like, oh, these people are cursed now, like, just wait. Um, and in a way, we are, because her prayer was that all her future generations would also believe, and look at me now, so... <laughs> Um, but I think about uh, the stories I grew up with when it came to us honoring these missionaries that would go to um, non-Western European countries, uh, the, the heinous stories of murder and real, real hardship to take the word places that it uh, just hadn't gone yet. And I have to struggle sometimes about, um, other than the whole knowing Jesus as your personal savior and how transformative that is, um, the fact that culturally we took something that was so not ours and made it ours. But we made it ours with that um, influential culture's lens. I have an uncle who's a reverend who still believes that hymns, uh, usually written by British people, right, are the actual music of the Lord. Um, and he won't listen to me, so I have to do side arguments to my mom. And I'm like, Mom, what if Jesus was Korean 
And what if the original missionaries came out of Asia? What if that meant now, as we proselytized into the Western world, you had like Japanese, like, uh, you know, um, string instruments and really awful trumpet sound things from Korea. I, they don't play them anymore. It's just for when tourists come. Um, what, if that, what if that was actually our sense of musical canon, right, instead of these uh, four-part harmony, six-eight, four-four hymns? Um, so I, I grapple with that sometimes. Um, all that to say, was I taught the wrong things? No, I don't, I don't see it that way. I see that based on all the cultural and day-to-day -day factors of how we're given and receive the Bible, our interaction with the gospel is different. And that's just it. It's going to be different. And that's not wrong um, so much as it's complex and super diverse. So a tangible example, because I'm going to give you one Bible verse today. Um, this is what I meant. Like, this could be really bad for your church. Like, anyway. Um, in Matthew 6, verse 1, Jesus says, Be careful not to practice your righteousness in front of others, to be seen by them. If you do, you'll have no reward from your Father in heaven. Okay, he just did uh, Beatitudes before this. You know, he's just giving real good um, kind of practical information. But in the verses that follow this, follows this Jesus tells us about how to give to the needy. Um, instructions on serving justice and looking out for the vulnerable, frankly. And that's not really typical when you think about how the verse says, be careful not to practice your righteousness. Um, these don't seem like typical righteousness connotations. And it's so true because if you go back into the first languages, the Greek, for example, they don't use the word righteousness. They use the word in Greek, dikaiosune, which means justice. And then if you look over the shoulder to some of your Spanish language friends or Italian language friends, their Bible also says justicia or justice. It doesn't say righteousness. So why the heck is the English version saying righteousness? Ask Kurt. I didn't decide to Google that part. Um, <laughs> there's probably lots of reasons, right? There are uh, Puritan values, um, who knows what time period that was and what was going on uh, in, in kind of that dominant culture that was writing this. But that's not actually the word. And yet for so many of us, that's how we learned and framed this whole um, passage. Um, what does it mean for the, the fact that our Romance language brothers and sisters have known that it was always about justice? What does it mean when they look at us and we're suddenly unearthing this, this justice language in the gospel for the first time and they're like, yeah, it was always there. And we're like, no, literally, it was never there. It says righteousness. Um, thanks to my Korean worldview and thus the way I was given the word, um, I learned uh, some of these differences. I learned about lament and hardship. I learned about prayer meetings where it was going to be adults crying and no words and just snot and it was okay and you're not supposed to look at them because it's fine for them because that's what the Bible was about, that kind of pain. I learned about a God who was always there for his people who were in distress and felt unwelcome. We did so much in the church to make sure there was a sense of welcome but for a very specific type of person. It was making sure that your flavors of food was going to be represented in the fellowship time afterwards. It was saying, even if you've never been a Christian or you've never gone to church before, you live here now, so you're welcome to come here. It was a very different thing than just making sure there's um, decent coffee versus, you know, oh, God forbid, Starbucks coffee at the church. You know what I mean? Um, I learned that my parents could cry out their frustrations and stress to a father who was Korean. 
um, who gave them a lineage and a family. Um, Korea is a, you know, we, our history is very much like those who were, uh, you know, aristocrats, uh, farming, you know, poorer, all that kind of thing. So the joke kind of, unfortunately, is that after the Korean War, because there was so much displacement and so much poverty, suddenly everyone could say, kind of like the, um, the movie Anastasia, like, are you really part of Russian royalty? We don't know. So many Koreans could now say, well, technically my family comes from this background of um, uh, kind of aristocrats or, or royalty. We just, uh, this is just what's befallen us because of the war. So regardless of truth to that or not, in my church setting growing up, you were crying out to Aboji or Abonim, and you were saying all the things about who you can't see anymore. This is before FaceTime, how difficult it was to be separated from older family members, let alone if you were like my mother's family, where because of the Korean War, you could never go to your home anymore. There was no North and South. It was just one peninsula. So those were the things that told me how to interact with the word versus just the words in the book. Um, okay. Um, our, our nation here was built up with a worldview of the word that supports our decisions of needing to start over, to take over, to keep expanding. Um, we know the power of a personal savior. Um, we know the power of an individual faith life. It has, it has propelled so many things, both amazing and really, really horrifying. Um, we know the assurance of a personal salvation. I would not have learned more about Jesus' true place in my life, however, had it not been for this type of culture that gave me that lens of gospel that I hadn't gotten as a, as a child. So I'm grateful for our worldview when it comes to that in that sense. Um, again, my Latino brothers and sisters see the Bible as full of stories of God moving people around the world. And I totally agree with them. Whether you call it a different type of theology or not, from the beginning to the end, the Bible is also full of just people migrating being both well-received and hated in lands that God placed them. It's a really incredible and mature knowledge um, that my Latino brothers and sisters have for God and the brokenness of the world when it comes to our policies and rules. There is a wealth there of what they understand that we don't always. Um, it is possible that my literature background in college makes me a little more prone to think this way. It's a book. Open it up. What are all the different critical theories that you read this through? Um, but let's look at that from all the different angles and worldviews as possible, not because, like Kurt was saying earlier, there's one right way to do it, but because all of that illuminates what we've got going on, what God has been doing. Um, and it's not because I'm on a hunt to find the right way to read the Bible um, and to know God the one correct way but it's because I accept and I know that I can wrestle with what gets illuminated when I do give extra attention to the passages where women are mentioned and their interactions with people, how Jesus interacts with them, um, how I can be convicted by Jesus' words and actions for the most vulnerable if I choose to give that a little more time, um, that the, uh, how much empathy I can have for the people of the Bible when I learn about the reality of their times the history and the politics at play, the famines, the hardship, the cultural values and norms that were assumed by who wrote them and shared those stories, but we don't actually know that anymore. It's not explicit to us as it would have been to the receivers back then. So you can apply your own critical lens when it comes to your interaction with the Bible with the story of truth, 
Um, and I would actually challenge you to move to a more open and expanded interaction with the Bible versus a more rigid and concrete one of, frankly, control. It's scary, and you might actually think that you're reading something new, um, and that might be the case, but just let it happen. And again, talk to Kurt and Sarah. Just make them tell you everything. So check yourself if you're reducing the Bible to being a book of one-liners. And again, I, I grew up in that era. Man, we had so many pieces of wood and uh, calligraphy papers that had like one-liners from the Bible and that, that they were like amulets for us. They felt good to have them around. Don't assume, but observe and research and then maybe even humbly ask questions when you encounter someone's different relationship with the Bible. Um, expect that you have so much more to unearth when it comes to what the Bible has to say to you. Um, I, I'm really hoping that today, Keanu aside, um, it's just further confirmation that none of us have this figured out. And that's so great. Um, we have a world full of people that would teach you more about the word um, and that you get to go out there and experience that. Um, I'm going to pray to end us, and uh, I just thank you again for just expanding with me for this morning. Lord God, thank you so much uh, for your mysterious and wonderful word. Um, thank you, Lord, that we are all here today to uh, learn more about it, to be challenged by it, to actually be transformed by it, Lord God. Uh, I would pray that your spirit would continue to do that work in us throughout the rest of our day, and I thank you again for this community at Cascade, Lord. May they continue to transform, may they continue to challenge and press into um, the realities of, of being a believer in this day and age, Lord God. And I just thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. That's it. Thank you so much, Enzo. <laughs>